Philippians 2.3 says to consider others more important than yourself. But does that mean you just always give in in every conflict? What if you hold your view because of an important godly interest? When is it right to stand up for your own interests? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. What about your interests? Should you just throw your interests out the window if it, if somebody else has some opposing view and you're arguing? Should we just should we just say, well, I'll just sacrifice my side? That's kind of what you would think from verse three, right? You would look at verse three and you would think. Maybe the godliest, most loving, selfless thing to do would be to sacrifice my interests and just go with yours. I'll just give mine up, and husband should just say, never mind about the budget. We'll just get the hotel. That's what you want. That's what we're going to do. And the wife should say, no, 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 never mind about the hotel. We're just, you want to drive straight through? We'll drive straight through. And they both just serve the other ones, and they throw their, out, their own interests out the window. You know, it might come down to that. Somebody having to sacrifice their own side, their own interest for the other one. It might come down to that, but that's not really what verse 4 says to do. Look carefully what it says. Notice the words only and also. Each one of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. You might have expected he would say, don't even look to your own interest, just to everyone else's interest. But, and he does say that elsewhere, but here he says, not only to your own. And I've I got to be honest with you, that's always bothered me <laughs> a little bit. When I've read this, all my life I've read this, and I've always loved verse 3, and I've always been a little bit un- uncomfortable with verse 4. Because verse 3, to me, seems like this really high, Christ-like, Sermon on the Mount type, selfless ethic that just says, you just put others are more important than you. Crucify yourself, deny yourself, serve others. That seems to me like, like what the Bible teaches. But, but verse four always seemed to me like a little bit lower ethic, where it's, it's saying it leaves room for serving your own interests, doesn't it? Because it says not only your own, but also theirs. So that leaves, uh, room for your own. And I, I just like, how does that match with the rest of the Bible? Because the rest of the New Testament, all I ever see is just this, Call to this full throttle self-sacrifice and self-denial. But Paul says here, both self and others. Why is that? Is this a capitulation to the world's um, lookout for number one ethic? That's popular. These, in fact, it's popular not just these days. It's always popular. It's always been popular in the world. And it's it's popular in the church, actually. Uh, I don't know how many times. I mean, it seems like constantly I'm hearing preachers say, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, what he really meant was, first you learn to love yourself, and once you learn how to love yourself better, then you'll be able to love others better. I won't tell you what I think of that, except to say that it's one of the stupidest things I ever hear in the church. That is not what the Bible says. I don't know how we can take a command that says, love your neighbor, and say, oh, that means love myself. No, it is not what it means. I don't have to learn to love myself better. I am an expert at loving myself. I have been an expert at loving myself from the day I was born. That's why I have always been so selfish. It's not a problem for me. 
Never has been. How many of you parents have ever had to take your little three-year-old aside and say, hey, listen, you've got to learn how to start trying to get your own way? I mean, do you ever remember, do you ever remember teaching your little children? It's like, listen, repeat after me. Say this. Mine. Learn. You gotta learn how to say that. No. They come out of the womb knowing that. Right? Did you ever have to train your little ones how to get upset when they don't get what they want? No. No. It all comes naturally. Every one of us already love themselves. Even people who are destroying themselves, they're doing it because of some desire they have. Everybody loves themselves uh, too much. We don't need to learn to love ourselves more. We already love ourselves way too much already. So, no, verse 4 is not a concession to the self-love movement. It's not Paul trying to leave a little bit of room for self-esteem. It is, however, an acknowledgement that very often your interests are good interests. They might be God-given interests. It might be something put God put in your heart, and it's important. And he wants you to pursue it because it benefits people. You know, the husband has a responsibility before God to keep his family solvent and to, to, to provide for his family financially. It's a command in Scripture. He's not at liberty to just throw that out the window. And and if the whole point of going on vacation is to have a good time together and get some rest as a family and all that, and to show kindness to each other, then the, the wife's interest that we actually do that on vacation, that's not a bad interest. Maybe God wants her to pursue that. She shouldn't just throw that out the window as her first option to resolve this conflict. Suppose you and I get into a, a, an argument about some ministry here at the church. And your underlying interest in... In, in your position, you say, we should do position A, we should do option A. And your underlying interest in that is you want more people to have a deeper understanding of Scripture and a deeper grounding and to grow spiritually uh, and reach maturity. I want to do something else. I want option B. And you say, Daryl, what, what are your interests in option B? Why, why do you want option B? I say, my thing is I want souls to be saved. I want to reach the lost. Now, those are our underlying interests. Neither one of us are at liberty to throw out those interests, right? Should we just abandon uh, the interest of, you know, people coming to maturity or people coming to faith? No, neither one. Suppose you have a conflict with your your spouse about discipline for the kids and uh, you want it harder, she wants it softer. And your underlying interest in wanting it harder is you want your kids to be self-controlled and obedient. And her underlying interest in wanting it softer is she doesn't want the kids to get discouraged and exasperated. Both of those are commanded in Scripture. Those are mandated in Scripture. Uh, We can't throw either one of those out, either one of those interests. Can't be sacrificed. Now, if your interest is just a personal preference, like you're in the mood for Chinese and your spouse wants Mexican tonight, well, <laughs> throw your interest out and serve her interest. I mean, it just don't, that's, that, that's the time when yes, she's more important than you, your spouse's desires are more important than your own desires, you throw your preferences out and just go with someone else's preferences. Do that all day long. That's great. That is a very godly thing to do. We should be quick to give up our own preferences. But, but when it's more than just a preference, when it's for the good of others, it's a good interest, don't just give it up as your first option. It might come to that, but don't start there.
We just have a couple of minutes for questions. Inspire them to adopt your interests? I, I, I don't think that's our responsibility. I don't think we need to help them care about our interests. But I will say this. When we do start really caring about their interests, they'll tend to be more receptive to hear you when you volunteer the information about your interests, especially if you can connect it to their interests. Ken Sandy, in, the, in one of those videos, and I would recommend, if you want to go into more detail on these, watch those Peacemaker videos. He's got, he's got a good example in there about a guy who his boss wanted him to illegally install software in order to save the company a bunch of money. And what he did was he went to his boss. He, he, he said, I, mean, I can't do anything illegal. But instead of just taking a stance, I will not do something illegal, just fire me. He, he went to his boss and he showed him, your interests are profitability, right, boss? Yeah, so... Here's what happens. If, if all the people see you do something illegal, then your employees might, might start questioning your, your, your integrity, and over time that could cost you employees, and that could hit, hit us in the bottom line. And see, he's, he's keeping the boss's interest in mind when he's arguing actually for his interest. So he, he connected them. In the last episode, I suggested an exercise of becoming alert to other people's underlying interests beneath their positions. Today, turn that inward and consider your own interests. What godly interests do you have that are driving some of your desires? Maybe one of your interests is to carry out your calling and God-given responsibilities. What desires are rising from that interest? Maybe your desire to eat enough food, to have energy, or your desire to understand Scripture better so you know how to go about pleasing God in your work. Maybe your desire to get enough sleep so you'll be alert enough and strong enough to do a good job in serving the Lord. All those can come from that underlying interest of wanting to carry out your God-given responsibilities. Another underlying interest that might be driving a lot of your desires could be your interest in immediate pleasure and comfort. That interest drives your desire to sit in a chair instead of sitting on the floor, or seasoning your food so it's not bland. Try to put your finger on the primary interests driving most of your desires. What are your motives? To please God? To please people? To feed your own pride by living up to a standard you've come up with for yourself? You do something to get money. Why do you want that money? What are some of the underlying interests driving your financial goals? Why do you do what you do in your marriage or at work or at school? Think through your interests and then give some thought to how important each of those interests are. There's nothing wrong with wanting money or favor in the eyes of people or comfort and pleasure. But what would happen if those interests got out of balance? What if your interest in immediate comfort was more important to you than your interest in serving God? What is the pecking order of your interests? What should they be? And what steps could you take to begin to move in that direction? Father, the purposes of my heart are deep waters. Give me the understanding I need to draw them out and then to sort them out. Help me to be honest with myself about what my priorities really are. They're so hopelessly mixed 
godly motives with selfish ones, low priorities with high priorities. Only your spirit can strengthen my mind to sort them out. But for the sake of your name, Lord, please let it happen. I want to be pleasing to you right down to the core of my motives. Give me a good, strong sense of which interests should be ultra-low priority so I can be quick to just let them go if need be to accomplish something good. Help me be quick to release my grip on immediate comfort or emotional preferences. But at the same time, teach me not to be too quick to let go of my godly interests. When I really am working to accomplish something pleasing to you, I don't want to release that at just the drop of a hat just because somebody else wants something different. If that other person also has a godly interest, give me wise, creative thinking to figure out some way that both our interests can be served. And let this rub off on my family too, Lord. Show me how to lead them by example so we can always be edifying one another always building each other up, considering the other person's comfort and preferences more important than our own, seeking to understand and serve each other's interests. Let us function with such harmony and love that everyone who sees us is impressed with your grace and wants that same grace for themselves. And let it spread through our church as well, As we live this way in our small groups and with all the brothers and sisters we're in contact with, let this attitude spread like a contagion, a healthy, life-giving contagion. And Father, let my unbelieving family members and friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, everyone around me who doesn't know you, Let them be attracted to your grace when they see me live this way. Have mercy on them like you had on me and bring them to repentance and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.